Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Sharice DeLima of Pensacola, Florida. Sharice will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Molly McCain. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Season 17, Episode 7, in Vino Veritas. He didn't become an anti-Semite watching Sesame Street and playing Little League. He is a victim of his father's hate, just like Daniel Hertzberg. This poison is passed down through generations. Unfortunately, we can't turn back the clock. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts. It's Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I'm so excited to be here. And Vino Veritas, you've been drinking. What? That's how you know it's true. Oh, shut up. Uh, also rounding out our panel is our special returning guest, Rebecca's BFF, Yay! Molly McCain. Hi, Molly. Hi, guys. How are you? Great. We all know that as uh, Rebecca's best friend and design troll on the HGTV and Me podcast. Which might be coming back in the future. Might be coming back. I hope back. it comes back. That was like my big podcast starring moment. I love that podcast. You got all sorts of Instagram followers after that appearance, right? I, I did. I, I went from tens to hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm tens to many tens. Many tens, yeah. No, I, I think I actually topped out over a couple hundred. Uh, my Instagram's pretty hot, as you guys know. <laughs> Her Instagram has everything. She's like an influencer now. Chickens, more chickens. <laughs> more chickens. So many chickens. <laughs> so you're one of our few guests who actually went to a law school. Uh, how would- No, an actual law. We should clear it up. Molly is an actual lawyer. Yes, Yes. But not a criminal lawyer. So no. my no. opinions, I just have to say my criminal law opinions are not legal advice and probably are not that good. So. <laughs> well, I'm wondering how your professors would assess the uh, argument skills of law and order prosecutors. Uh, I would say the prosecutors, there are a lot of ethical problems that they run into. Particularly, I had a lot of things in this episode that I felt like were law school exam questions that were just mm -hmm. thrown our way. So, Molly, have you ever argued that a judge should recuse himself because he's controlled by a Zionist cabal? 
It, I haven't. Uh, I have not. But I did have a case where the pro se plaintiff without an attorney actually filed a motion to put a pox on the judge. And oh. I objected to that motion because it would prejudice my client and delay the trial. And the judge refused to recuse himself because he said nobody in their right mind would agree to a pox on him or any other judge. And so, yeah, we had that's New Hampshire. Is that like a biblical pox or is that a uh, legal term? It was uh, it was definitely a little strange. The plaintiff wore long flowing robes to work and was <laughs> suing to be a rightful candidate for president here in New Hampshire. Oh, is it the pony guy? <laughs> it's a different guy. He used to enclose glitter in his pleadings. It was really fun to open <laughs> those. Yeah, it was good. Molly of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. I am old school. I like Briscoe and Green. Nobody has ever replaced them for me, except I did go through like a munch phase for a little while, mm. but I come back to Briscoe and Green. Yeah. And who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Oh, I love Jack McCoy, even though he annoys the living crap out of me. I love him with uh, Carrie Lowell. I forget her actual name, but one of the tall glamazons early on. And I love them together, mainly because I just loved her and her clothes and her hair and everything else. Jamie Ross does have sort of a resting sad yes, face. Yes, Jamie Ross. Yeah. Yes. And she was always going through an epic divorce the entire time she was his partner. Yeah. And she was basically Claire Kincaid, but not sleeping with Jack. And they didn't kill her off either, which was nice, I think. Yes. Because she comes back as a judge later, doesn't she? I think yes. she does. Yes, and then in yes. the season 21 reboot, she's still working in the AD's office. What? Yeah. I missed that. No, you saw that. We talked about it with Brady Carlson. What is she doing? Like, she's not making more money than she could be making uh, as, like, an actual lawyer? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. Now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order Season 17, Episode 7, In Vino Veritas. Has-been actor Mitch Carroll gets pulled over for drunk driving, and we, when he steps out of the car, he can't explain why he's covered in blood. But he gets really fired up when questioned by Detective Nina Cassidy. He goes off on an anti-Semitic tirade that would make Kanye West blush. <laughs> if there has been an accident... Are you a Jew? You're a Jew, right? I should have known they'd stick me in a room with a Jew cop. I'm not talking to a Jew. I know the law as good as any. Does he know he has a right to remain silent? I'm Mirandizing myself. The next morning, Carol tells Green and Cassidy that he doesn't remember anything that he said or did the night before. The actor's 14-year-old son, John, says that dad checked in throughout the night, but he was sleeping. In Carol's trunk, Crime techs find a pool of blood, likely left from a body wrapped in a sheet. Later, the dumped body of former co-star Danielle Hertzberg is found, murdered with a 9mm pistol. Danielle was putting together a new TV show and was pushing back on Carol's efforts to get on the pilot. Past co-stars tell Ed and Nina that Carol made anti-Semitic remarks to actors and producers. He says that when he went to her apartment to beg for his job back, that he found the door open and Danielle dead on the floor. Carol says he panicked and dumped the body because you know what the Jews will do when they find out what happened to one of their own. Yes. A search of his apartment turns up a recently fired 9mm, which his son also has access to. And John is growing up to be a little bit 
bit of a Nazi himself. When Green and Cassidy questioned the boy further, he admits knowing his father's beef with Danielle, then shooting that, quote, Jew bitch. I want to talk about the use of anti-Semitic language and the, and the tropes and the dialogue and stuff in a bit, but let's just put that... Wait, we should probably just put a little, like, disclaimer here that there's a lot of anti-Semitic shit in this show that we are going to be talking about. That's the point. Yes, okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Like a lot. Yeah. That we do not condone, and it is fictional anti-Semitic shit. Okay, now we put that down. Now let's laugh about it, okay? Okay. So the first scene is this traffic stop. Sort of jumped that red light back there. No harm. So have you been drinking tonight? No. I had a glass of wine a few hours ago. I'm fine. Turn off the ignition. Step out of the car, sir. Look, uh, you probably don't recognize me. I'm Mitch Carroll. You know who I am. Out of the vehicle, sir. Now. Being drunk, though, is the least of his worries. His shirt is covered in blood, which he says is a carafe of wine that he uh, spilled on himself, which is believable only if he were coming back from your book club. Oh, my God. And I'm pointing at the two of you. Well, and he made one. I just want to say I know why you chose me for this podcast. It's a way to get at me and Rebecca for drinking a lot of wine and sometimes telling you truths that you don't necessarily want to hear sometimes, maybe. Yes. There were so many problems with that little stop. One, if you're ever pulled over and you have been drinking and an officer says, have you been drinking? You shouldn't say no. Oh, well, wait, let me slur my next few words about how much I had to drink. Like he just (laughs) screwed it up right there. Because he says, no, well, I've had one glass a few hours ago. By the way, Mitch, if you're covered in blood, I have a suggestion for you. Zip up your jacket. (laughs) That you were wearing it. That's why you wore it in the first place, right? Or say you just came from an Italian restaurant. Just say that. Something. Just say that. Don't say it's wine. Just say it is spaghetti sauce. That looks like blood in a way that no other liquids do. And, and I thought the cop did not take de-escalation training uh, at all. He yeah. escalated the situation quite rapidly. You know, that, that moved fast. You thought the cop escalated the situation? <laughs> I, with the traffic stop, I thought he did initially. You know, he kind of was like, I don't care who you are. And he didn't, you know, he pulled him right out of the car. But all I want to do, you guys, is just fast track to my very favorite line of this entire episode, which is screw you sugar tits, which I'm just going to start signing off all my emails at work that way. You blew a point one three. You've been placed under arrest for DWI. Screw you, sugar tits. I have powerful friends who will crucify you and your people for even putting your hands on me. Can you hear that behind the mirror? I love screw you sugar tits. Yeah. Not for nothing, the camera pans to the two of them nose to nose. And so all of America can take a look at her profile and check out the sugar tits. Yes. And not to be gross, but. But. Her tits are pretty nice. They were nice. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, you know that I am a feminist. Yeah. So am I. (laughs) There are so many beautiful women in this episode. Mm. I do feel as if. They costumed her in this scene, Cassidy, to highlight the boobs. Was I alone in feeling that way? No, I thought she was wearing kind of like the Jessie's Girl Angora sweater. Like that was kind of, they purposely put her in like a heaving bosom type of sweater. Thank you. Yeah. Meantime, Chevy Chase's dentures can't stay in his mouth. (laughs) So many issues. Yep. By the time they get to the end of the interrogation, Van Buren, who's listening through the the mirror, says, Make sure you write down everything he says. Write down. Yeah, but just this time. 
Don't ever do that again. Yes. Write down everything. Not record everything. Right. What year is this? 2008? Not take out a tape recorder and boop, record it, write down everything he says. If there's ever a moment for a, a ca- video camera or a tape recorder, it is this moment. I've got more cameras pointing at my front door than they have in the, apparently in that whole police station. We have more cameras pointing at us right now, taping this <laughs> right. fucking podcast. Right now, yeah. It's audio <laughs> podcast, yeah. Exactly. I loved the, does he know he has the right to remain silent? And it just reminded me of um, that comedian, I think it's Ron White, who tells a story about getting thrown out of a bar, and he says, I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability. So, so drunk. <laughs> and it kind of reminded me, I was like, oh, this guy obviously missed the blue-collar comedy tour. Yeah. Or Mitch. There's this one weird thing that will come into play later and that there's some superior officer who tells Van Buren to write a second report in which Carol is not covered in blood and ranting about Jews running the world. And the only two black cops in the police department look at each other and say, nope. Yes. I can smell a setup a mile away. And my favorite line of the episode, besides the sugar tits line, is when AVB says, With all due respect. Inspector. Which we all know means exactly the fucking opposite yeah. of with all due respect, Inspector. I'm sorry. With all due respect, if anyone ever says that to you, they do not respect you. Well, yeah. and this is one of those times where it's so predictable because any first year law student who's taking criminal procedure would say, a second report, I can't wait to cross examine them on mm-hmm. that at trial. Like, there's no good reason to have a shadow report. And I love that she's like, make sure I get a copy of that. Like, that's going to help. It doesn't, well, my it doesn't matter. Files. Well, later we find out that they made Cassidy sign the report. It's like that Trump lawyer. And they said, here, just sign this letter saying it was a diligent search. It's fine. It's fine. All right, let's take a look at our cast. It's our very special guest star. Mr. Chevy Chase. Yay! Playing the generally unlikable... Mitch Carroll. You locked me in this room for an hour like an animal. You work for leeches, detective. They suck the money out of this town and they send it to Israel so they can make bombs and matzah. Three-time Emmy winner known for classics like Caddyshack, Three Amigos, National Lampoon's Vacation, Fletch, and Modern Problems. Also awarded the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards Lifetime Non-Achievement Award Hall of Shame. Like Chevy Chase is like the worst person in the world, right? We find well, that Chevy is not necessarily... Was he known as not nice when he made this episode? That is my That's what I was wondering. Because now we know he's not nice. And this seems like an odd choice to redeem yourself. Like if you're, say, like, I don't know, like Luke Wilson, somebody that seems nice, you can play this character and get away with it. Mm-hmm. But if you're Chevy Chase and people have accused you of sexual harassment and you've, you know, clocked people and... Being you, a dick. You, well... I think people did know he was crappy because he hit Bill Murray and then they made up and made Caddyshack. And when was that? Like 1980? Yeah, he he was notoriously difficult to work with. I think the incident you're referring to is when Chevy returned to Saturday Night Live. And Bill Murray had was in the on the cast when he was there. But when Bill Murray met and him, Bill Murray, by the way, also difficult. They got into <laughs> also yeah. difficult, right? Yeah. Well, they got into a but fist not fight. playing yeah. a Nazi to try to redeem his <laughs> reputation. Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, let's set the bar really low. See if I can do that. Chevy had been arrested for drunk driving in 1995. He went to rehab, and then in 2018, 
after this episode. He was involved in a road rage incident where he chased a 22-year-old guy across a bridge, and the guy later kicked Chevy in the shoulder to block a punch? What? You get kicked in the shoulder? Uh, try to do that. Try to, <laughs> no. Yeah, no, you, you sit down on your back. Whoa, watch out. And there were no, no tears shed when he left the cast of Community. Of that show, he said, you know Community, right? Yeah, of With course. Yeah, Blubber and, yeah, yeah okay. it's great. Um, the show, he says, it's still a sitcom on television, which is probably the lowest form of television. But I love these kids. The cast, they're very good. It's not like I'm working with any great innovators of all time, but at the same time, they're my friends. No. Molly, you're just not one of the great innovators, but you will do for this show. Well, perfect. Hey, we do have a couple of Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, it's that guy. Do you recognize the actor playing Bobby Gold? Yes. Who's that? That's Paul Anthony Stewart. He said the reason the show was canceled was because no one wanted to watch a rat chew bastard like me. I went for blood, I'm telling you. He played Danny Santos on Guiding Light. He is one of my all-time favorite soap stars. Ah, yes. By the way, he's not Jewish. He's Italian. Mm -hmm. He went to Princeton, and he's a soap icon. He is gay. He is wonderful. He is one of my favorite daytime actors of all time. I love him. Love him, love him, love him, love him. Yeah, uh, for his role in The Guiding Light, he was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award which we can all agree is like a factory outlet Emmy Award. Yes. Right? By the way, his real name is Paul Anthony Tamaccio. I looked it up. Great, great. <laughs> we do have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Who's the actress playing Mrs. Carol? I know that one. You know that too? I do. All right, I'm going to let you have it. Go ahead. Who is it? I only know there's also a soap. Okay. It's Terry Garber. John said that his dad told him to provoke a confrontation. He couldn't let a Jew beat him. So John just walked over to the boy and he punched him in the face. She played Iris on As the World Turns. Iris Dombrowski. (laughs) Iris Dombrowski, who was a famous drunkard villain on As the World Turns. She also an anti-Semite? No. Ah. But she was a drunkard. She was mean to Carly. She was mean to like so many of my favorite characters in As the World Turns. She was a famous drunkard 'er ne'er-do-well. Yeah. Molly and I will remember her for her role as Ashton Maine in the ABC Civil War miniseries North and South. What? Yeah, we oh. both stayed up late, and uh, actually we had it on our VCR. <laughs> I watched so that could, too. I don't remember. Yeah, that. you remember her? No. Okay. Well, according to the fan wiki, Ashton, the character, quote, was the selfish and wicked younger sister of Ori Maine. She falls in love with Billy Hazard. However, Billy discovers how selfish and whorish she is, and falls in love with Ashton's younger and kinder sister, Brett Maine, played by Jeannie Francis. Okay, can we just talk about the fact that? Ashton, Oren, these are like 1980s names put on like 1800s characters in a big fucking way. Brimley, Mackenzie <laughs> And like Jeannie Francis was in this. These are just like recasting soap people to be like in a, like a Civil War thing. It's amazing. We have to watch it. Let's watch it. We are going to have to watch it. Maybe that's a whole very special episode of your podcast. <laughs> so Terry had been engaged to her high school drama teacher when she was 17 years what? old. What? I hate it when that happens. But <laughs> at age 53, they would get married. Uh, she would wear the same wedding dress as her character in North and South. Shut up. Yeah, he she waited her, for her. That is so good. She wore her fake Civil That's, War wedding dress? Yes. Wow. 
It's, it, it also was covered in blood from that amputation on the battlefield. I'm just so. trying to think, like, if I'm going to be 53 in a couple years, and if I just wore the yellow dress I wore in Fiddler on the Roof, and I married the gross theater director who kind of seemed sketchy, like that, you would agree, Rebecca, you would talk me out of that, wouldn't you? No, that no, 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 no. Sunrise, sunset. <laughs> My chorus teacher in high school was fucking awesome. His name is Mr. I'm friends with him on Facebook. Uh-oh, that's the first step. <laughs> the idea of marrying him, wearing the dress that I wore like in a high school play situation. I think that's hot. Horrifying. Really pretty bad. Horrifying. We do have some repeat offenders. Repeat offender. Playing Justine Bailey is Jennifer Esposito. Oh, so hot. Look, John can still be saved. Take him out of his father's custody, long-term psychiatric care, family court supervision. Don't lock him up for the rest of his life. She's still Finn's significant other on SVU. Jose Zinga is the bureau detective. In the meantime, I want you to write another report, this time without the incendiary comments or mention of the bloody clothes. He is the Twilight actor who's been in several SVU episodes. He's in Twilight? Yeah. Uh, he's been often as a uh, crime scene technician, Miguel Cruz. And playing Judge Kale is Amy Brabson. The hate crime aspect is especially disturbing. She is the on-screen and real-life wife to Andre Brower. She was on Homicide, right? Oh. Yes. Oh, I loved Homicide. Do you know who's playing the talk show host, Barry Bishop? No. Well, I appreciate the courage it took to be here tonight, Mitch. That actor is Patrick Bowl. Nine Law and Order Universe appearances. You've seen him in FBI Gossip Girl and Wiener and Wiener. Uh, speaking Ooh. of wieners, Patrick was arrested in 2018 in a prostitution sting in Florida. Oh. Police say oh, he Patrick. negotiated $150 for, quote, straight sex. And that's a good price, but it might be a little high in Florida. <laughs> Seems like a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> it also sounds like entrapment. Yeah. I mean, he should be out there negotiating for those actors. He's, you know, able to talk them down. Yes. Also arrested in that very st same sting, a pastor and a judge. So I think it was a pretty good, you know, high quality Johns for that one. It's a good joke. It's a good opening, joke. If nothing else. A pastor, <laughs> a judge and an actor all get arrested in a prostitution <laughs> sting. Uh, lastly, who's playing Tori, the uh, the nightclub waitress that they talk to? Yeah, what a sweetheart. And so funny and genuine. You know, he doesn't even like being famous. No idea. Yeah, that's Leah Thompson. <gasps> Are you fucking kidding me? No, it me? is not. No, not that Leah Thompson. Uh, this oh, one's, I was like, no. That's Leah's L-E-I-A. She's played the waitress in The Imperialists and Still Alive, the hot waitress in Shoots and Ladders. And the bartender on episode 17 of Blue Bloods. Oh. It sounds like she's been typecast. Yeah. Like, are you sad if you've played the hot waitress and then in the next thing you're just relegated back to waitress? Yeah. They got <laughs> someone else's hot waitress. Uh, she is not great on Twitter. No? No. Oh. July 31st, 2011. It was an epic day for her. She has starts with an, a, tw a tweet addressed to no one. It says... I've alerted our scene and the police about your spam. I strongly suggest you stop now. Then the next tweet. That's weird. Did you get a text from me about our scene spam? Next tweet. Really? So weird. I've been getting constant texts from someone claiming to be my friend's company, our scene. It's obvious spam. Next tweet. <laughs> it posted on Twitter? <laughs> Next tweet. My phone says I'm texting you. 
Next tweet. I'm trying to text you. It's going through his Twitter? Three question marks. <laughs> Final tweet for the next seven years. I'm calling AT&T now. People of a certain age, like my mother will sometimes, she used to put questions she wanted to Google, but they would be her Facebook status. <laughs> <laughs> so like every what? once in a while, it would, you know, like, she translates things from like French to English or she'd be looking for like a recipe. So, and she's very polite. So one was like, please Google, give me a good cheese souffle recipe. But that (laughs) came across as a Facebook status. Okay, so when they find the body, Cassidy also discovers her handbag. Cash, credit card's still here. Danielle Hertzberg, she's Jewish. She's Jewish. In case it's not obvious to the rest of America, we gave her this name. Jewish, yes, but what about her sugar tits? We didn't really get a good view. Yeah, unfortunately. She was dead. Greeny Cassidy talked to the actor Bobby Gold, uh, who tells him how Carol would walk around calling him a Jew bastard and that uh, he was using, accusing him of using his Jewish connections in the entertainment industry to get ahead. And then Bobby Gold says, yeah, that's exactly how I got ahead. Who do you think runs the studios, networks, all of it? Well, we don't know that kind of stuff, so tell us. Look, it's true. I got off 25 to Life and jumped to movies, and it wasn't because of some dumb sitcom. Danielle opened doors for one of her own. So is he saying the quiet thing out loud? Oh, my God. This is the most anti-Semitic moment that's ever been on television. It's a self-own is kind of how it... Okay, this is so upsetting. Basically, this scene confirms all of Chevy Chase's character's anti-Semitism, right? right? Mm -hmm. By basically saying, yes, the Jews do own the whole system. Because he says, what, they look out for, we look out for our own? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I honestly think this is one of the most anti-Semitic scenes I've ever seen on television in the history of television. It is so... I saw right, this. Right. We're going to talk about this later. Let's talk about it now. Okay. <laughs> Look, in film, stage, and TV drama, you can't write a racist character or have sort of this racist, hate filled, dramatic plotline without demonstrating to the audience in some way, right? Sure. So the language that we find problematic in real life needs to be employed in TV, film, stage. Sure. I'll point out they don't ever use the K word. There's only one other Jewish slur other than just saying Jew. I mean, of course, you know, Jew is a yeah. fine word, but if you say like Jew, you know, it's that's that's when it gets really bad. <laughs> it's used a lot. Is that the difference? That's the difference. Just a difference. All inflection. It's like speaking Chinese where it's just the inflection. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's, exactly. Oh, Jew, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. yeah it's like uh, oh, Irish. <laughs> and I just, yeah, it's, it's not just horrible. the same, Kevin. It's not the same. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. But basically, it's a lot of repeating anti-Semitic tropes. That being said, it still felt a little 4chan to me, right? Yes. It was like... I felt like it was over. It was overdone. Like, this, we were beaten over the head with this. They did not need to go as far as they did. So future QAnon top poster John Carroll uh, does not need a lot of prodding. When he spills it, he really spills it. Yes. No, you don't. You've never wanted to know the truth. What does that mean? That the Jews run everything. They control all the money, all the jobs. Think they own the city. That's why Dad hasn't worked. They hate him because he's not one of them. But if you want to find him today, he uh, is uh, on trial for being a January 6th insurrectionist. Shut the fuck up, no. (laughs) 
What, the actor? Yeah. No, the kid. He got oh. out of jail. And... VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Now let's look at the second half of this episode. Young John is arraigned on hate crime murder charges while his father is charged with hindering and tampering with evidence. The defendant tried to cover up a hate murder in which he may be implicated. That's a lie. Not only is that patently false, it's appalling, Your Honor. Ms. Rubarosa has just single-handedly prejudiced my client before the court of public opinion. How is Mitch Carroll going to get a fair trial after that grandstanding? John's lawyer, Justine Bailey, wants him tried in family court and given counseling to deal with his father's anti-Semitic influence. McCoy says that he'll make a deal with John if he says more about his father's role in the crime. Carol's ex-wife tells Ruberosa his rhetoric got worse after his TV show was canceled and encouraged John to beat up Jewish classmates. When her move to get him tried in family court fails, Bailey works with McCoy to get John to testify his father encouraged the shooting. At the second-degree murder trial of Mitch Carroll, the defense confronts Cassidy about the two police reports and whether Carroll was being set up by, well, you know who. (laughs) On the stand, John recants his claims against his father, threatening his plea deal. In the last-ditch effort to save the trial, Jack and Connie make an offer to Carroll. Admit your role, and for every year in prison, he agrees to knock off a year of his son's sentence. Carroll says, my son? I don't even really know him. But Chevy Chase, who apparently has never seen any of the 16 previous seasons of Law & Order, is shocked, shocked, when John hears everything through the conference room door. Feeling betrayed, the son agrees to complete his testimony against his father, and Mitch Carroll is convicted. So the attorneys tell Jack, hey, you can't charge the father for the misdeeds of the son. And McCoy says, you must have also missed the previous 18 seasons of Law & Order because that's all I do. Yeah, I'm going to charge whoever I want with whatever I want, no matter what. And I don't care. And I'm going to sputter and I'm going to make some moralistic plea to do it. And then somebody above me is going to grudgingly agree and we're all going to go out for a scotch. Like that is every episode. There was literally an episode of Law & Order this season where D.A. Jack McCoy charged the father of a shooter, it's called Legacy, who shot the headmaster of a school because he gave his kid a gun, even though because the kid had mental issues. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you put the gun in the kid's hands, so you are the one who should be charged. This guy charges parents all the time. At least once a it's, season, there's some story where like, oh. It's first degree bad parenting. That's what the, <laughs> the lawyer said. He'll plead to first degree bad parenting. I was like, awesome. I'll plead to that sometimes All too. the time. People first are arguing thing. like, you can't do that. And I'm like, Jack. You've fucking done this 150 fucking times. But the defense lawyer is the one who's like, you should do this. And he's like, no. And I'm like, you do this all the time. You do it all the time. Right. 
You you charge companies. You go after the the supermarket for the poison toothpaste that they <laughs> sold. You go after gun manufacturers. You're the only one who does that. In criminal court. You'll charge the sky for somebody getting a fucking sunburn, Jack. He, he is, it, it, it's crazy to me, Jack McCoy. He drives me nuts, but I do love him, but he drives me crazy. Yeah. So I sort of hate watch Jack McCoy, but I, I did love first degree bad parenting and I loved the idea that the kid was abused with the anti-Semitism, and that's why he acted out the way he did. But then he was also loyal to his father. I thought that was kind of messy, not not as well fleshed out as I might have hoped. Yeah. McCoy talks about how his Irish cop father, who hated blacks yep. and immigrants. My father was an Irish cop. He, he'd come home from work and rant about the blacks, Italians, Ukrainians. He found out I was dating Sheila Kowalski. I got the back of his hand. And even still, you decided the right thing to believe, despite his bigotry. He said that if he respected his father more, he might have grown up with those same prejudices. He says that dad hit him when he found out he was dating a Polish girl. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Jack McCoy Kowalski it does have a kind of nice ring to it, right? <laughs> by the way, Jack McCoy has fucked his way around the world by now. So, I, you know. It's, it's, Often with his coworkers. Yeah. Frowned upon. I, I, stop it. But also stop hiring these like glamorous supermodels who don't look like anyone that I went to law school with. Yeah. <laughs> at all. I'm going to blame the supermodel uh, ADAs and not McCoy. It's their fault. No, but you know he's part of hiring them. He hires them so that he can get them in there and they're young and they're going to see how magical he is and how he gets things done and they're all going to fall for it. That's the only way he is landing these ladies. He rides a motorcycle and in his apartment what? there's a grandfather clock. Yes. It's canon, right, Kevin? It's canon. He has a grandfather clock. And yes. he rides a motorcycle, right? Canon. I'd forgotten about the motorcycle. He doesn't seem like the type. No, he doesn't seem like the type who'd date a Polish girl either, but he did. <laughs> Surprising. He's a rebel. Carol does the thing that all misbehaving celebrities do. He goes on a talk show to apologize. Oh, I'd like to apologize again if the statements I made hurt any members of the Jewish faith. Really meaningful. Touched my heart, that apology. For as many people who get shot on the courthouse steps, just as many get arrested uh, on television sound studios. They didn't arrest him on live TV, though. I want someone to come and arrest one of you guys right now. I, Just right into the studio uh -oh. seat closet. I've got to lock the door here. So That's the whole thing. They didn't arrest him on live TV. That yeah. was the disappointment. <gasps> well, no, they, they had the decency. To, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> that was the cops, Kevin. Gotcha. All right, all right. <laughs> well, Green and Cassie did have the decency to delay the arrest until Bobby Bishop could throw it to their tribute to the Croc Hunter. <laughs> when we return, a tribute to Croc Hunter Steve Irwin. Stay with us. I thought that was odd, too. Like, I didn't Google, like, when Steve Irwin actually died. Was it around this time, or was that just, like, random? I I would imagine it was around this time. It had to have been, yeah, like, that I, week, right? Yeah, All right. I had no idea. Like, that felt very out of nowhere to me. Granted, this was a long time ago. Carol does offer that famous rebuttal. Mr. McCoy, I do not hate Jews. Some of my best friends are Jews. Including his Hollywood lawyer, who in the middle of the case just decides to wear a yarmulke. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. But then McCoy calls him a putz. Yeah. <laughs> nice yarmulke. You're pulling out all the stops. Damn straight. You're acting like a putz. The Where best. Are we with this? The best. You're you're acting like a putz. Which, by the way, for those mm -hmm. of you out there who aren't familiar with the terminology, mm -hmm. uh, no. a putz is an insult for an idiot and a fool. 
It's also terminology for a dick, an actual penis mm-hmm. reference. Oh, yeah. Well, who knew? I yeah. did not know. It's, it's also like a schlong. So it, 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 you're an idiot or a fool, but it also means a dick. Yes. Yes. It's yes. both of those things. I've been getting away with it on it's television. It's a double for a long entendre. Time. By the way, Molly, did you know that you can say dick on network television you can, if you're calling someone a dick, but you can't refer to a penis as a dick? So I couldn't say, like, show me your dick, but I could say that guy is a dick. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. I didn't know that. I, and in all of my, I've never been called upon to have that information. I feel good about it now, though. There Who you knows go. when it will come in handy? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe the next time you're writing a script for television, yeah. you're, you're working as a censor. So, Molly, can you imagine a situation in which you as a lawyer would go in and ask a judge to recuse himself because he was married to a Jewish person? Uh, uh, no, but I can envision a situation where I would ask a judge like Clarence Thomas to recuse himself because his wife wants to overthrow the government. And I, so I can see how the spousal relationship could be relevant. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But just the fact that your wife is Jewish and the way that he said it, he's like, you're married to a Jew. As he wears like, his yarmulke. I was like, but you, could you imagine asking for a change of venue? Because you're surrounded by too many Jews. Right, right. I love, there's so many lines here that were over the top, but I really liked, John has issues. We've never really had a relationship. I never knew him. <laughs> like by Chevy Chase, just overkill so that we would know that if the kid overheard it, he would, you know, immediately turn on his father. You are your son, Mr. Carroll. I can't go to jail. I'm too old. I... Tell him I'm I'm so sorry. And of all the horrible things he said, that's the worst. Mm. No, actually, he said a lot more horrible things. He did. Think, yeah. yeah, he's because yeah. his son is kind of an asshole anyway. My, he's kind of a. Though dick. I kind of feel like this about my kids. Like I can't go to jail. I'm too old. That's Maybe say, you should go to jail for me. For I don't know. Like, the son had that squinty, slappable face, though. He did. Yeah, yeah. For he real. seemed like he wasn't on the right path. You know, the, the mom had a had it better. Without that kid living with her. You know, mm, she did. Mm. I real, I still can't understand that. But who knows? I did love I'm too old to go to jail. So, you know, I'm sure my son will understand. Tell him I'm sorry. We're all too old to go to jail. <laughs> I'm way too old to go to jail. Flight risk. So at the end, Branch offers to take everyone out for that uh, celebratory drink. Anybody up for a drink? I'm buying. And I'm in. As long as nobody judges what I say after my second bourbon. Like, what's he going to do? like, damn, drag queens are ruining my library. He's going to say something anti-Semitic. That's what he's going to fucking say. That's what he's trying to, that's what I thought. Just warning you now. He was going to say, not for nothing, but. That's what he was saying in my head. Is that what you were thinking? I thought it was just going to be something that he was hearkening to, you know, Chevy Chase basically being able to say whatever he wants because he claimed to be drunk, you know. And now after my second bourbon, I'll speak only the truth. And God knows what that is. Probably he'd hit on like the cute little prosecutor and it would be a whole nightmare. I'll tell you who really runs the world. Not for nothing, but you got some sugar tits. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you think of this idea like afterwards, like branches, let's all go to the bar. Like what an awful coworker to like go to, you want to socialize in a New York City bar at night and everyone gets a beer and he orders a Woodford Reserve neat. <laughs> like, how fun could that night possibly be? <laughs> I guess until he has his second one and you start to find out how he really feels about things. Yeah. 
You're literally going to a drink with Foghorn Leghorn. Yes. Who's also an elected official. Like, what the fuck are right. you going to do? One time I read To Kill a Mockingbird. It was horrible. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. This episode is inspired by the controversy around the 2006 traffic stop with movie star Mel Gibson. The two-time Oscar winner was pulled over for doing 80 in a 45-mile-an-hour zone in Malibu. The sheriff's deputy spotted an open bottle of tequila on the front seat and the actor pissed behind the wheel of his brand-new Lexus. Gibson told the deputy he was depressed because his wife was going to leave him. As the Jewish officer placed him under arrest on suspicion of drunk driving, Gibson launched into an anti-Semitic tirade. He also made misogynistic statements about female officers. The leaked arrest report sent Hollywood into a tizzy. Many entertainment executives cut ties with Gibson, citing previous controversies around anti-Semitic themes in his movies. The actor issued a public apology in a TV interview with Diane Sawyer, then checked into rehab for alcoholism. In 2010, Gibson's girlfriend recorded him using racial slurs and threatening violence. The press declared his career was over and Hollywood blackballed the actor for nearly a decade. Then in 2017, Mel Gibson made a comeback, receiving an Academy Award nomination for directing the war film Hacksaw Ridge. Well, don't call it a comeback. Not everybody was ready to embrace the... Gibson sense, I guess, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. At the Golden Globes, Ricky Gervais introduced him like this. I like a beer as much as the next guy, unless the next guy is Mel Gibson. Oh. <laughs> and, then, and then he walked up and interrupted Gibson's presentation and asked, what the fuck does sugar tits even mean? Wow. Good for him. Right. And then his back away. Ricky, Ricky Gervais is not without his own issues, but go ahead. He's not. He's not. Also problematic. <laughs> so why are these things a career pauser and not a career ender? Well, Kevin, as a white man, I think you are the most qualified to answer that question. What do you think? Well, I mean, do you guys think okay, there's Mel Gibson, who was at one point a lister, an A lister, if this were Bobby Gold, <laughs> you know, pretty sure that'd be the end of it, right? He'd be working in Whole Foods, is it just because you have so much juice to begin with that you just have to bide your time and then you can come back? Well, think about think about all of the talent. Like Mel Gibson, whether you like him or not, he certainly had a lot of talent. I think about Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. and 
the amount of talent that he has, it's disappointing when they kind of go off the rails and do terrible things that should have them canceled forever. And I think deep down, we don't necessarily want to lose the talent that these people were bringing to the world. It's sad. I still would love to watch The Cosby Show, even though Bill Cosby is in every way completely disgusting. But the show was a good show. And it, it's difficult to reconcile that. Now, I'm not going to have to worry about Bill coming back because he's, what is he, at home on hospice and yes. you know, or in jail for the rest of his life? He's not coming back. No, he's at his home, think, yeah. You look at the the talent that seems squandered or wasted, and I think we also want to believe people when they say that they've changed. That whole, I've consulted with my Jewish friends and neighbors, and and a lot of my friends are Jewish, and I just made a mistake. I think we want to believe the best in people, and so they get welcomed back after a period of time. Mm. I think that certain kinds of people get more chances than other kinds of people. And, oh, that's true. And you can rank those kinds of people. Yeah. So- Men who are white are at the top, and then men of all kinds are second, and then women who are white are next, and then everyone else is like, (laughs) after that. So Mel Gibson is at that very top mm. of that sphere, right? Plus, post-2008, after Barack Obama was elected president, there's this whole, like, part of America— that's just going to naturally root for anybody who's racist. So there's actually a new pocket of people who are going to actually actively support somebody who's publicly racist in a mm-hmm. brand new way that is going to like, like, so, so somebody like this, like, you know, I mean, granted, there's always, I mean, I'm not pretending there's never been public and private racism, but post 2007, 2008, there's this new public acceptance right. of like supporting racists mm-hmm. that gives people like this a lane that Mel Gibson was able to take advantage Look of. Look at even the even the political discourse though. Like this week there was a conversation about whether white nationalists were racist. Exactly. What, like <laughs> why are we having this conversation? Who has that question? Exactly. But guess what? Like because Tuberville brought that made that question. Now it's going to be an actual fucking question. It, it becomes a question, even Which though it shouldn't be a question. It's not a question, but now it's going to be a question when it should not be a fucking question. Whether or not Mel Gibson is racist and anti-Semitic became a question when it's not a question. He's a racist and anti-Semitic. Like, whether or not he goes yeah. to rehab is not an issue. It's not an issue. So Jewish deputy James Mee says his Christian superiors ordered him to remove four pages from his report containing Gibson's rant that Jews start all the wars and stuff like that. Uh, It was those four pages that were leaked to the press. Mee sued the department for retaliation. Years later, he was fired when a drunk driver he tried to arrest crashed into a gas station. So he sued. He cited the Gibson case as... um, Reason for the retaliation, and he won his job back. HR lawyer Molly McCain, what do you think about that case? Oh, I know. Well, what's tough with that case is a lot of police are unionized, and so a lot of times their remedy is to get their job back when that's exactly probably what he didn't want. He probably would have been happy with a million dollars and to go away and never be seen again, and instead the union's like, congratulations, you have your shitty job back, and go back to work where no one will eat lunch with you, and your life's going to be miserable, and you're going to be assigned all the crappy tasks. You know, I'm not surprised. I think it is retaliatory. And part of breaking down those toxic cultures that we've allowed to grow is making sure that these things do become public. And it takes 
brave people to make that happen. It takes someone leaking the report or telling the truth about what went on or saying, you know, here what we saw, which is I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to hide this. You know, we're, we might have two reports, but I'm going to keep a copy and it's going to see the light of day. People have to do that or there won't be any type of change. So Mel Gibson says that the worst thing about this incident is that people keep bringing it up. Oh, no, that is. A, yeah. Oh, definitely. That's the Poor worst Mel. thing. I, yeah. He said for one yeah. episode in the back of a police car on eight double tequila shots uh, to sort of dictate all the work, my life's work and beliefs and everything else that I have and maintain for my life is really unfair. It is. Yeah. And I'm like, um, eight double tequilas. Okay, is this going to be like when Alec Baldwin complains that people keep bringing up that he like shot that person? Killed somebody. Yeah. By the way, before this, for Alec, the worst thing was that he called his daughter like a rude, thoughtless little pig, and now he killed somebody. (laughs) So, like Mel, you can you're going to be fine. You're a gajillionaire. You're still brave heart. You won two Oscars. By the way, can I just ask a question? Yeah. Someone like Mel Gibson. I'm not wrong. Like. He could never work again or go out in public again, and he'd be fine. Sure, yeah. He could never go to Starbucks again, and he'd be <sighs> fine, right? He might work at Starbucks, but yeah. No, no. But don't you think it's about, it's not about the money anymore. It's about the ego. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, it's not the money he's after. It's the accolades and the fame and all that. And he's mad that people don't like him now, but he's been terribly yeah. unlikable. Gibson has two sequels in the works. One is for Lethal Weapon. And the other is, are you ready for this? Sequel yeah. to The Passion of the Christ. Oh, no. What's it called? What? It's called, I'm not making this up, Passion of the Christ Resurrection. <laughs> it's literally the original sequel. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Molly McCain. Molly, where can our listeners follow you online? Oh, they can find me at Molly McCain 603 on Instagram. Join my hundreds of followers to see more chicken pictures. And Rebecca Lavoy, <laughs> how can our listeners follow you? You know where to follow me. Just follow Molly and her hundreds of <laughs> tens of followers and look at her chickens on her Instagram. Trust me, it's fucking worth it. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy, Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips and this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Dun, 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 dun. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.